I've got a confession to make. It's a confession of poor personal hygiene and the impact that that had one sad Christmas about 10 years ago. As a church, we for a long time hosted some carol services in Crosshands Cinema. And being a special event, one year I decided that I should make a special effort, that I should come to host, to compare the whole occasion, dressed in my finest suit, my dinner jacket, with dicky bow and cummerbund and all of the frills and fancies that go with it. So the day of the carol concert arrived and I went to my wardrobe, I took my suit out in its protective um, case that you keep these sorts of things in, undid the zip, pulled it out and to my utter dismay and disgust, what I found before me was, it was, it was horrendous. My dinner jacket, my dinner suit was covered in tiny little blotches of mould. Evidently, the last time that I'd worn it, a couple of years before, I had been perhaps too enthusiastic in whatever event I'd gone to, dancing, enjoying myself, and I put it back wet with the sweat or the evening dew or whatever it was, back in its protective case to fester for a number of years. It all wasn't lost. I own other suits and so I hosted the event and it was a resounding success, but here was this dinner jacket, valuable to me for the memories that it held, for sixth form dinner dances, for weddings that I'd attended, for other events and things like that. And it was filthy. It was blemished. It was stained. Now that suit needed dealing with, didn't it? That suit needed cleaning up and it needed something at its core to be done, not just the surface mould to be removed, but whatever it was that I'd left lingering in there all those years. It needed to be taken away, cleaned up, transformed. And I'm telling you this story because as we approach Easter, as we take our time to think about all that the cross achieves for us, I think this illustrates a problem that each and every one of us has. You see, you and I as human beings are blemished. You and I, says the Bible, says Jesus himself, are stained. Here's how Jesus puts it in Matthew chapter 15, Matthew chapter 15 verses 17 to 20, speaking about what defiles a person, what stains a person, what corrupts us as human beings. He says this, don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart, and it's these that defile them. For out of the heart come evil thoughts and murder and adultery and sexual immorality and theft and false testimony and slander. These are what defile a person, not eating with unwashed hands. See, the problem with you and with me, and we feel this deep down, don't we, is that the stains that we carry, the guilt and the shame that we bear, aren't just external things that have attached themselves to us, although sometimes they can be that, but they are things which have welled up inside us. They are things which come from within 
and affect us. We don't just have stains on the exterior, our very hearts are the source of yet further staining. Jesus wasn't being novel when he noticed this either. Throughout the scriptures, this has been the testimony describing fallen humanity. Psalm 106 says this, they defiled themselves by what they did. By their deeds, they prostituted themselves. Or in Isaiah 1, this call, this cry, this invitation comes out, wash, make yourself clean, take your evil deeds out of my sight, stop doing what is wrong. And see, the thing is, for you and for I and for all humanity, this defilement, this staining has a number of effects. Most importantly, probably, is the effect it has on our relationship with God. It separates us from God because God is a holy God. He cannot look on our sin. He cannot look on our blemishes. Habakkuk chapter 1 says this, Your eyes, dear God, are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. It separates us. Like that suit from my opening illustration. Um, It wasn't suitable to go to that environment, into that situation. It would have been wrong for me to wear that suit to the special occasion, to the carol concert that we'd been organising. The stains which we carry can never and should never be allowed to enter into God's holy and perfect presence. More than that, separating us from God, the stains which we carry weigh us down. They produce in us senses of guilt and shame, and more often than not, rightly so. Just like Adam and Eve when they fell in that story in the garden in Genesis chapter 2, their sin brought on them shame and guilt. And so they hid from God. They were embarrassed to be seen with God. Me and my suit produced shame. I put it back in its case and put it to the side. I didn't want to wear it. I didn't want to be seen in it. I didn't want to be associated with it. And so if that is all of our problem, that Jesus and the whole scriptures testify, and even our own, um, even our own, honest moments testify to us what can we do or what do we try to do to deal with that guilt and shame well we try to hide our guilt and our shame we try to pretend that it isn't there sometimes we can pretend to be good good guys have this veil this sense of false purity always smiling always nice that if we tart the edges up, then no one will know what we're like really deep down. Or perhaps we'll act the tough girl, keep others at bay with toughness, with confidence, with with anger, make it so that no one wants to come close enough to see really how blemished we are. Perhaps we become party people, where we try to shush and quiet that sense of shame that we have in ourselves by constantly getting high on drugs and alcohol and good times and whatever it is. Maybe even, often, it can be becoming that churchgoer. Someone who learns and, and, and serves in church and, and draws near to, to pure things, but, but never really applies it to themselves, never really experiences it for themselves. 
with my suit, it would be perhaps like trying to dust that mold off the top surface, not really dealing with the source of it, the issue underneath, or getting something like bleach to try and remove all of the stains. And in all of my best efforts, what would I do? Well, it's just like you and I. All of our best efforts probably just end up making us worse. It's not our solution. It's not our um, best efforts that can do anything about the deceitfulness of our human hearts. So what's God's solution then? As we approach Easter, as we look to what God has done for us in Jesus, what is his way of cleaning us up, of removing our guilt and shame and those stains and blemishes which separate us from God? Well, there's an illustration for us in the Old Testament. It's a solution that God devised and gave to the people Israel when they came out of Egypt as they were wandering, waiting to be planted in the land. And it's a special celebration called Yom Kippur. We read about it in Leviticus. And as I read this passage to you now, keep your eye out for the scapegoat. This is what it says in Leviticus 16, for these people who God has, has taken for his own and yet they are blemished, they are stained, they are constant sources of shame and guilt within themselves. This is what God instructs Aaron. The high priest is to offer the bull for his own sin offering, to make atonement for himself and his household. And then he is to take two goats, take two goats and present them before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting. He is to cast lots for the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other for the scapegoat. And Aaron shall bring the goat whose lot falls to the Lord and sacrifice it as a sin offering. But the goat chosen by Lot as the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord and be used for making atonement by sending it off, sending it away into the wilderness as a scapegoat. And when Aaron had finished making atonement for the most holy place, the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall bring forward this live goat. He shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the wickedness and rebellion of the Israelites, all of their sins, and put them on the goat's head. And he shall send that goat away into the wilderness in the care of someone appointed for the task. The goat will carry on itself all of their sins to this remote place and then it shall be released into the wilderness. See now here's what's going on because God loves his people. And he isn't happy for that guilt and shame to, to separate them, to, to continue to defile and to stain his people. If that suit that I had really had value to me, I would get it sorted. I wouldn't happy for it to be festering in that case in the wardrobe. Here's the result of what God has ordained. It says later on in chapter 16 of Leviticus, on this day, Atonement will be made for you to cleanse you. Then before the Lord you will be clean from all your sins. It's a wonderful picture, isn't it? Of God's desire to make a way. Of, to, of God's desire to make us clean and whole again. To take away that which weighs us down. 
to, to have it removed from us as far as the east is from the west, the psalmist says. But God, through these goats and this goat which carries it away, makes a way for us to be clean, clean from all of our sins before God. But a couple of verses down, there is another surprising result. Verse 34 says that this should be a lasting ordinance amongst the people, that atonement is to be made once a year for all the sins of the Israelites. It wasn't a lasting solution. It wasn't something that could really get to the root and deal with the cause, the, the human heart which is constantly welling up these sources of guilt and shame. Year after year after year, the same procedure would have to be done in order to make the people presentable and acceptable to God, to make them clean, to be freed from the weight of that guilt and that shame. I suppose for me, it would be like taking my suit and just rubbing, brushing the surface dirt off it as best that I can, brushing it down, but never treating what was inside, never treating that damp that had gotten in there that was causing the mold to grow. And so every year, no matter how much I cleaned the outside, year after year after year, I'd open that protective packet up and I would just find new mold, new mold, each and every year that I went to gather and to use that suit. But that story in Leviticus is just a picture. It's just an illustration. It's just something that we can latch on to help us understand truly what God's final solution would be. Because as well as that picture, as long as as well as that um, process, we find so many promises in God's word that something better, something more lasting was going to come. That, some, that something would be done that the scapegoat could only be a picture of, a shadow of the cleansing and the cleaning and the refreshing that is to come. The book of Prophet Jeremiah, for example, wrote this, I will bring Judah and Israel back from captivity. I will rebuild them as they were before and I will cleanse them from their sin. I will forgive all of their sins of rebellion against me. God promised that he would bring them back and he would cleanse them. Zechariah 13 says this, that a day is coming when a fountain will be open to the house of David and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from all of their sins and from their impurity. And here's where we finally get to Jesus. Here's where we finally get to the cross, that what was promised, what was pictured, what was prophesied before, that is what Jesus has delivered. John, um, John in the wilderness, John the Baptist, he turned and he looked and he saw Jesus and he described him in this way. Here comes the Lamb of God who's going to take away, who's going to remove the sins of the world. Reflecting on Jesus's life and death and resurrection, the author to the letter to the Hebrew people wrote this, that he, Jesus, being the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, the one who sustains all things with his powerful word, he made purification for sins before sitting down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Later on, the same author says this, how much more will the blood of Christ through the eternal spirit offered without blemish to God, how much more will he purify our conscience from dead works so that we can serve the living God? 
Paul, to his protege Titus, wrote this, Jesus Christ is the one who gave himself to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own eager to do good. John, Jesus' best friend, wrote this, If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all of our sin. You see, Jesus' coming and living and dying and rising to life again makes it so that all of what is welling up inside us, that stains us, that defiles us, that causes blemishes on the outside, can be done away with, can be taken away, can be removed. That all of our guilt, that all of our shame, that all of that weight and all of that separation can be, can be a thing of the past. And what of the future then? Well, here's the picture in Revelation chapter 19. Let us rejoice and be glad and give glory to God. For the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride, that is the church, has readied herself. How do we find her? Fine linen, bright and clean, given to her by her groom to wear. Wonderfully, Jesus' life and death and resurrection goes beyond our feeble attempts to deal with our guilt and our shame. Jesus' life and death and resurrection goes beyond those Old Testament patterns and pictures to deal with the people's guilt and shame. And instead, Jesus gives us robes that are as righteous and as clean and as pure as Christ himself. I don't really know how to put that in terms of my old stinky suit. Perhaps it's like coming up with a new suit to replace it, more expensive, more brilliant. A suit delivered with scotch guards so that those stains could never emerge again. What does it mean for each of us this morning then? As we make our way slowly towards Easter. Well, the reason we've looked at this is because I want you to know that if there's guilt that you are holding onto in Jesus, you are free to let it go. If there is shame which you are carrying in Jesus, it has been removed. Jesus is the one who has done what is necessary and lasting so that we can be forgiven and all of our guilt and our shame can be carried away. Is there something that you are holding on to? Is there something that is weighing you down? Is there some part of you that is keeping others and God at bay? Know this, that as Jesus died in our place, he, like the scapegoat, was carrying it all away so that we could be left pure and whole and blameless. You don't need to stay separate from God. You don't need to stay separate from other people. You don't need to chastise and punish and condemn yourself and hide yourself away. You don't need to try and ignore it and create a new narrative where it doesn't matter. Come to Jesus to be purified and to be washed. The great preacher Spurgeon prayed it like this. May we put our hand upon the head of Christ as we see him offered up on the cross for guilty men, we, may we know that our sins are transferred to him 
And may we be able to cry in the ecstasy of faith, great God, I am clean. Through Jesus' blood, I am clean. The cross of Christ is such a wonderful thing, which serves us and benefits us in so many ways. And let us leave you this morning knowing that in Jesus, as far as the east is from the west, so far have all of our sins, all of our stains, all of our guilt, all of our shame been taken away from us. So come to him. Put your hands on him. Wash yourself in him. And live in the cleansing that he has brought. Amen.